So the word of God this morning from John chapter 11, and we begin at the first verse. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That's as far as we'll read this morning in this part of God's holy word. Beloved, one day, one day, according to the word of God, he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And one day, There will be no more sickness, but that day is not yet. Our prayer meetings here in the congregation, especially of late, have been filled with so many prayers for those whom we love who are sick. Just so, so many. And so a word from God this morning on the topic of sickness. But actually, I hope that we will see even more this morning a word about our glorious Savior, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we are going to just look at the opening part of the chapter, especially these first six verses. They really, of course, set up the context of the whole chapter, the resurrection or the resuscitation of Lazarus from the dead. But we're just going to look at these opening verses because they really set the stage and present uh, a real difficulty and challenge, not only for the family of Lazarus, but also for Christians in every age. But before we come to those verses, just a couple of points on where this chapter comes in John's gospel, chapter 11. It comes after John chapter 9, the man born blind. And we remember Jesus' words in John 9, verse 3, when the disciples ask, who sinned that this man should be born blind? And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God 
might be displayed in him. The glory of God. And the lesson there in John chapter 9 of spiritual blindness or the spiritual ability to see God's glory. Later on in John 9, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out of the synagogue. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believed. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and that those who see will become blind. By God's grace, eyes to see the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of God. And then also John chapter 10. Of course, that great chapter of Jesus, the good shepherd of his sheep. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's why Jesus came for life, an abundant life. Can this good shepherd really take care of his sheep? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. A blindness given that the glory of God would be seen. A good shepherd who gives life to his sheep, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. These are wonderful truths and great promises. But how do these things intersect with providence? Jesus, you are a great and good shepherd that has come to give us life. And then we come to John chapter 11 and life meets us in this man named Lazarus. Just going to consider three lessons here about our Lord from the opening verses of John chapter 11. And the first is this the Lord's love, the Lord's love is not disproved by hard providence. The Lord's love is not disproved by the Lord's providence. In the first verse of John chapter 11, we are faced with the issue of physical sickness. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Believers get sick. Sickness is a reality of life in the fallen world. We don't subscribe in any way to what is called Christian Science, that is a sect, a cult founded in the 19th century by Mary Baker Eddy in her book Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, in which she taught that sickness is an illusion. It's not. Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was sick. 
And we know people who are sick. We ourselves get sick. This isn't a foreign concept or circumstance to any one of us. But every issue we face in this life has a spiritual component as well. And in many ways, the area of physical sickness and suffering may be one of the most difficult of all as a testing ground or a crucible for our faith. Now, why do I say that? On what grounds do I say that? I've had some personal experience, but really not too much experience with deep, long, hard, physical sickness. I don't speak so much from personal experience, but rather from the testimony of Scripture itself. There was a man, before there was a man named Lazarus, there was a man named Job. And as the adversary of our soul set his satanic sights on that righteous worshiper of God, he touches under the sovereignty of God various aspects of Job's life with increasing severity. He takes away the things that Job has, his material possessions. He takes away his children. He leaves his wife. And the devil was happy to have her in Job's life, it seems. But he takes away thing after thing from Job applying more and more pressure in the hopes of breaking this man of God. But as you have heard again the story of Job this morning, what was the last weapon in Satan's arsenal? What was the climax of his assault against Job? Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. Stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to his face. Do you see the significance of sickness and physical suffering spiritually that even the devil knows and acknowledges? Sickness is a real spiritual battleground. And if we are in it, or if our loved ones are in it, We know that. We know what a spiritual battle it is. And if we don't yet know it, may this morning be preparation for us that we would know it. And there's such great preparation and comfort for us here in John chapter 11. And the first is there in verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord... The one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. The Lord's love is not disproved by hard providence, including sickness. The Lord's love remains with his sick 
children. When the sisters send this message to Jesus about their brother Lazarus' condition, they use words that teach us so many things. Because we see sick saints all through Scripture. Miracles which cured the sick were the exception, not the norm. Miracles had a specific purpose to identify the spokesmen of God, but they are by definition extraordinary. They were never intended to be the expected cure for whatever ails you. In the Bible, we meet many sick Christians. Peter's mother-in-law with a fever in Mark 1.30, 1 Timothy 5.23, Timothy with his stomach problems and frequent infirmities. 2 Timothy 4.20, Paul leaves Trophimus sick in Miletus. And Paul himself with a thorn in the flesh. And if you read through church history, it, it struck me again recently reading biographies of some of the of the great saints and teachers and pastors and preachers that God has raised up in church history and how many of them were chronically sick. They were just such sick people physically. I think if we think even of the history of the world, we live in a time when we really don't know sickness the way that so much of the history of the world has known it. How it was so much more a part of their lives every day. J.C. Ryle has a beautiful sermon on this passage. And in part he says, Lazarus was a good man, converted, believing, renewed, a friend of Christ and an heir of glory. And yet Lazarus was sick. Therefore, sickness is not a sign that God is displeased. There was a man named Job. There was a man named Lazarus. Yes, Lazarus was sick. But the sisters knew something over and above the sickness of their brother. The Lord loved Lazarus. And how rich these sisters were in gospel theology. I wonder if they were aware of it as they spoke the word or whether they prophesied in spite of themselves. Because they did not put their hope in human effort or human works or human love. They did not say... The one who loves you is sick. Jesus, Lazarus loved you so much. How can he be sick? No. Because our love is not a solid enough foundation for hope. No, they ground their plea on the only solid ground of a sinner's confidence. Lord, the one you love is sick. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Do 
The Jesus to whom they appeal is the same one who would one day show his love, the love of the Father, by offering himself the atoning sacrifice for the sin of his people. There's no question that Jesus loved Lazarus. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And he would show that love by going to the cross. Love, the love of God, the love of Christ is so clearly visible at the cross. But it can become clouded by the storms of life. There are professing Christians, sadly, who pit the love of God and the sickness of his children against one another. They preach and teach a view of God that says, if you are his child, he never wants you to be sick. That's horrible thinking, dangerous thing, unbiblical thinking. So contrary to the example and teaching of Scripture, The devil would love that kind of thinking. That if I'm sick, to start doubting and thinking maybe God doesn't love me after all as his child. Oh, beloved children of God, remember these words of Mary and Martha about Lazarus and take them as your own by faith. Lord, the one you love is sick. The Lord's love is not disproved by hard providences. On June 7th, 1891, although he didn't know it, Charles Spurgeon preached what would be his last sermon. And he preached that sermon, racked with pain from his many illnesses. He was a tremendously sick individual in many ways. And his concluding words from that pulpit that day were these. Every man must serve somebody. We have no choice as to that fact. Those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend on it. You will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or the Savior. And you will find sin, self, and Satan and the world to be hard masters. But if you serve Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest for your souls. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind and tender, yea, lavish and superabundant in love, you always find it in him. These 40 years and more I have served him, blessed be his name, and I have nothing but love from him. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below if it so pleased him. His service is life, peace, and joy. Oh, that you would enter upon it at once. God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus even this day. So we see the Lord's unchanging love is with his ones who are sick. 
sicknesses of all kinds, disabilities of all kinds, infirmities of all kinds. Do not disprove the love of God for his children. Hard providences, including physical sickness, must never be used by the devil to disprove in our lives and hearts the love of God for us. Secondly, the Lord's wisdom. The Lord's wisdom is not disproved by providential delays. You know, reading about Lazarus being sick is not that startling. Remembering Jesus' love is wonderfully encouraging. But it's when we get to verse 6 that we read something that at first glance is so disturbing. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days more in the place where he was. That's hard to understand at first glance. Coming on the heels of verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was. Jesus knows the situation. It's not a case of ignorance. He has the power to come and go as he pleases. He can walk on water if he so chooses. He knows that he could get there, and yet he delays. He's not hindered by anyone, and yet he stays where he was two more days. John eleven six on the surface seems to scream out to the reader, Jesus, you must not care. How can you stay where you are? If you cared, you would come. Such a great struggle. And a struggle for us when things are of long duration, when in our sickness we begin to wrestle with divine delay, then our faith is really challenged. And as the condition perseveres, our perseverance may dwindle and wane. Lazarus was sick. The message was sent and the sisters wait and wait and wait. Where's the Lord? Where are you, Lord? And we too know what it is. Some much more than others. We pray and endure and wait and wait and wait. And sometimes all we can start to see is the Lord's delay. That's not an uncommon exception in Scripture either, though. Habakkuk 1, verse 2, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out, violence, but you do not save? 
Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Revelation 6.10, so striking that even the church triumphant is still the church militant in a sense. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? In this case, the events, the following events in the chapter tests the sister's faith to the extreme. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. How do we keep holding on in those how long, O Lord, seasons of life? How do we come alongside and pray for those who are in situations like this? We are helped as we submit our thinking and our reasoning and our circumstances to God's wisdom. We humbly lay our whys at the feet of his because. The question why is like a highway that ends up in two places. It has two destinations on opposite ends of the highway. It ultimately ends either in a frustrated doubt and bitterness or in the humble worship and trust of God. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. The Lord's love is not disproved by hard providences and the Lord's wisdom is not disproved by providential delays. And we see that especially as we come to our third point. The Lord's glory is not diminished by either hard or delayed providence. The Lord's glory is not diminished. And here is the climax of this whole section, which is really the climax of the whole Bible and the climax of all of human history. John eleven four, when Jesus says, this is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Beloved, often the glory of our Lord has been and is hidden from those without spiritual eyes to see it. And sometimes our vision becomes dim as well. Verse 37 of chapter 11, some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? 
Yes, he could have. But when we see the whole picture, we see how the glory of God in Christ was revealed through Lazarus's sickness and even in his case, his eventual death. And how the glory of God then was promoted even by the sickness of Lazarus and the delay of Jesus. There is often more glory for God and more good for us in the hard providences and the delayed providences than at times when God comes quickly. We don't see the whole picture, of course, and so our faith is challenged. But it is revealed in the Bible for us to know, and so we know it's true. Now we see, but in a mirror dimly, One day our sight will be clear. We will have a clear sight of Christ and a clearer sight of how his providence contributes always to his glory. There's a man named Douglas Taylor who for many years worked as an assistant editor at the Banner of Truth Publishers. He was diagnosed with inoperable liver cancer. He battled with it, I think, for about three years and then died in 2014. But over those years of sickness, he kept a blog and he wrote meditations. 247 of them have now been collected in a book, and the book's title is, I Shall Not Die But Live, Facing Death with Gospel Hope. And in one post, he quotes the catechism, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And then as he meditated on that biblical truth, Douglas Taylor wrote, in the latter days, we shall consider these things perfectly. Then, we shall see how greatly what was planned for us advanced his glory. How can delays promote a greater glory? Think of some other situations. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden created in knowledge and righteousness and holiness. God loved the creatures he made in his own likeness. (coughs) And as they listened to God and continued to listen to God, it was well with their souls, but then they began to entertain the temptation of the evil one. Yet the Lord did not immediately intervene. In holy, sovereign Wisdom, he delayed his grace and Adam and Eve fell into spiritual death. Why, Lord? Because it was only then that God came and after convicting Adam of his sin, spoke those glorious gospel words of Jesus Christ. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. That seed is Jesus. 
Or imagine our Lord in Gethsemane with such spiritual fervor of soul and anguish of soul that he was sweating great drops of blood. Then an angel appeared from heaven strengthening him. I wonder if that angel who ministered to Jesus returned to the Father and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And he would have good reason to say something like that. There was no love like the love of the Father for his only begotten Son, and there was no sickness like the soul sickness Jesus was gripped with in Gethsemane. But did the Father come to his suffering Son right away? No. There was a delay. There was a silent heaven to the point of Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the uniqueness of the suffering of Christ, we see the greatest divine delay yielding the greater glory, the greatest glory, because after three days in the grave, he arose. And so could say to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? What child of God cannot see the glory and good that came out of it all? The very salvation of sinners. Nothing more glorifying to Christ and nothing more good for the good and blessing of his children. But listen, friends, Jesus experienced what we never will in his suffering and death in part so that by faith you can endure what you will experience in this life and in your life, knowing that he loves you and that he has greater purposes in his providence than we often are able to see. We need to keep these things in mind as we think of all of church history. As we think of all the things going on in the world today and all the things that are happening in your life and in your family and the lives of your loved ones. Fix your mind on these three things. The love of the Lord. The wisdom of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord. That so often sick St. Charles Spurgeon on another occasion preached this wisdom. If you drink of the river of affliction, where it enters the sea, it is salty and offensive to the taste. But if you will trace that river to its source, where it rises at the foot of the throne of God, you will find its waters to be sweet and health-giving. As long as I trace my pain to chance or accident, my bereavement to mistake, my loss to another's wrong, 
my discomfort to an enemy, and so on. I am of the earth, earthy, and I shall break my teeth on gravel stones. But when I rise to my God and see his hand at work, I grow calm. I have not a word of lament. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Open our eyes, Lord, to your love, your wisdom, and your glory in Christ Jesus.